Hey, 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 what do you say, Mint fans? Hope you all had a great 4th of July weekend. And what a way to end it. Beating Milwaukee's version of Jacob DeGrom. Yes, yes, yes. Who thought going into that game we would win yesterday? With Mr. Woodruff on the mound for the Brew Crew. Who has been untouchable. One of the reasons why the Brewers have been so hot. One of the reasons why the Brewers are running away with the NL Central. But you know what? A man named Tug McGraw once said, You gotta believe. And by golly, we believe. Well, some of us did. I was just hoping we'd stay in the ball game with McGill pitching. But how about McGill? And it's Tyler. Remember, it's Tyler, not Tyler. It's Tyler McGill. And he came through. He looks so good on the mound. He's a beast on that. And what a physical presence he has on the mound. He was calm, cool, and collected last night. And he, too, hit the Brewers. And you know what? He may be coming up early, earlier than what folks expected. And I think he's a keeper. I think he's going to stick in the bigs. I really, really do. I told you guys a month ago that I liked his stuff. I saw one of the highlights of him pitching in the minor leagues. I said, this kid's got it, baby. Now he's the 21st-ranked prospect in the Mets farm system. And he entered the season with all of all the starts above low A ball. All but one of them, I should say, above low A ball. And he didn't really seem to be a blip on the Mets' radar in the beginning of the year. But after Lucchese tore the UCL on his left elbow last month, and that necessitated a season-ending injury, surgery, uh, the Mets had no other options. And they inserted McGill into the rotation. And now Alonzo knows all about him. Since joining the Mets, McGill has shown enough in three starts to establish himself firmly as a fifth-day option. He struck out seven over the first five innings of the Mets' 4-2 win over the Brewers on Monday, allowing Alonzo's two-run double in the seventh inning to stand tall and be the difference. He's really hitting himself well, and uh, it looks like, given the opportunity, he's really impacted the Mets, and that's a positive. So he's yet another one of these guys who's really stepped up to the plate and helped the Mets out, and I'm so glad to see it. Uh, his parents were in attendance, as you show on SNY. They're pretty spunky. And I think even when they, after, the, even after the interview, when they cut away and showed McGill batting, and he struck out his mother was kiddingly now. If I could read lips, I'm correct. You stink! And with a smile on her face. And I thought that was funny. Uh, the only mistake McGill made basically was a home run on Omar Navarez in the fourth inning. But then he responded. He showed veteran calm and cool and collectiveness by retiring five of the final six batters he faced. He finished with seven strikeouts to push his season total to 19. And only two pitchers in Met history have struck out more in their first three starts. Matt Harvey and Steven Matz. He's been super clutch with how he's carved guys up. And uh, his fastball, which it did go as high as 97, remains a showstopper. And the most encouraging aspect of the night was his changeup. He went through it a lot. He threw 22 times for 16 strikes and 7 swings and misses. And uh, earlier this season, multiple scouts who saw McGill in the minors called that changeup his defining pitch. 
one that would make the difference between a future as a ninth inning reliever and a bona fide starting pitcher. Uh, Navarro's home run came on a changeup. The rest of the Brewers struggled to make solid contact against it, frequently swinging over pitches that McGill buried beneath his own. Uh, it's an offering that McGill has grown more and more comfortable with throwing over the past year and a half, and he's been following constant reps during games of catch and bullpen sessions. So that's encouraging to see. Very encouraging to see. Uh, now, he did get a no decision, and that's his third consecutive no decision, but no complaints here. Uh, considering the fact that he was pitching against Brandon Woodruff, and Woodruff was dominating in the beginning, the Mets did manage to support their starter with a Brandon Nimmo double and a Dominic Smith sack fly in the fourth. But Woodruff had nothing else until the seventh when he put the first two runners on base on a Francisco Lindor walk and a Smith single. That brought Balanza, who doubled down the line to give the Mets their first lead. Once Edwin Diaz kneeled, nailed down somewhat a shaky save, the Mets moved to 3 0 in McGill's three starts. The attack on his 3.77 ERA and 19 to 6 strikeout to walk ratio, and McGill has done more than enough to remain in the rotation, at least for the next few weeks. And I want to see him in there. I think this kid's got too much potential. Uh, and it kind of gives the Mets a little bit of leverage uh, heading into the trade deadline. Uh, earlier Monday, I don't know if you saw the interview, Zach Scott was speaking in the likelihood that the Mets will had pitching with uh, Carlos Carrasco, Noah Syndergaard, and Casey all still sideline. And uh, as things stand, the Mets probably will make a move, or a couple, or three, but Miguel has added another dimension to those discussions. Uh, I think thanks to Miguel's performance, Scott won't be as desperate in negotiations as he otherwise might have been. Miguel actually may be the type of starter he was looking for in the trade deadline. Uh, and he's really, really good. I love Miguel's poise. And that's been constant from his first day in the big leagues and his adaptability. And... Uh, Right from the shoot, facing two good teams, he gets a big test as part of rotation. And he did exactly what the Mets needed, and probably more than what they needed. And by golly, he's been outstanding. Uh, this is one Mets fan who is happy that uh, he is in the rotation. You know who also I'm happy for? Michael Conforto. Uh, he finally ended his hit hitless streak in a key, key at-bat yesterday. Uh, he crushed a, uh, a shot to center field. In Monday's fifth inning, but all he had to show for it was another hitless at bat. His drought, though, ended at 0 for 13 when he smacked an RBI single in the seventh that gave the Mets their final run in a 4 2 victory over the Brewers at City Field. Conforto entered the Monday in a 4 for 34 slide since his activation from the injured list. He was dropped to sixth in the lineup against the Brewers, and Conforto's biggest issue is timing, Louis Rojas said. I've seen him attack late at times, just getting ready to separate to see the ball. That's what caused him to foul pitches, either over the third base dugout or down the left field line when we have seen repeatedly, so he's just a tap weight, and that puts him in trouble to recognize some secondary pitches. Yeah, Conforto really has been chasing some uh, change-ups up and down, some sliders down, and he has been swinging a little bit late. And I think that is something that he can correct, and I think Conforto's too good a hitter not to correct it. Currently, Conforto owns a 207-341-293 slash line overall with two homers and 16 RBIs, and that's not Conforto-like, and basically that's not going to get him the big contract at the end of the season. Uh, moving on to J.D. Davis, he remains on rehab assignment with AAA Syracuse, and the Mets are hopeful he can join the active roster by the weekend. 
Davis, who has missed two months with a left-hand injury, is the last significant piece of the lineup on the injured list. In recent weeks, Conforto, McNeil, and Brandon Nimmo have all returned from the I.L. Now, Robert Stock is among the candidates to start Wednesday's game against the Brewers. I don't remember Stock. He pitched uh, against the Mets against uh, Jacob deGrom less than a month ago. And the 31-year-old Stock was claimed off the waivers from the Cubs last month and started twice for Syracuse. He is one guy on the roster who is stretched out and ready for that day, Rojas said. Now, Carlos Carrasco. Carrasco has practiced fielding his position before the game and likely will throw a live batting practice session this week. The right-hander is progressing toward a minor league rehab assignment that could place him back in the Mets rotation by late July or early August. Jared Eikhoff cleared waivers and returned to the Mets on a minor league contract. Eikhoff was designated for assignment last week after allowing four homers in a start against Washington. The right-hander has pitched to a 4.50 ERA in two appearances for the Mets this year. And isn't it nice to see Pete Alonso and Dominic Smith heating up for the Mets? Uh, they did all right yesterday. Dominic Smith and Pete Alonso simultaneously are hitting well. That's what the Mets dream of. And now they're the number three or number four hitters in the lineup. And they helped carry the Mets during the Subway Series this past weekend. And Monday night, we're back to inflict damage on a new opponent. Another tough opponent, the Brewers. The tandem was central to a seventh-inning rally and finished with three of the team's RBIs and a 4-2 victory over the Brewers at City Field. The Mets won for the third time in four games and extended their NL East lead to four and a half games. Alonzo smashed a go-ahead double for two runs in the seventh after Smith had doubled a Francisco Lindor leadoff walk with a single. Smith drove in the Mets' first run of the game in the fourth. It came after a weekend in which Alonzo and Smith combined for three homers and seven RBIs helping the Mets win 2 of 3 against the Yankees. Now, the Mets have a pretty large responsibility, but the way that Nimmo and Dorb have been getting on base, really gritty in the box and getting on base, it's awesome. And with Smith and Alonzo batting 3 and 4, with those guys getting on, we're looking good in Flushing by the Bay. Uh, remember, those guys can't really knock in anybody if... Uh, there's nobody on base, but having Nimmo, who's an on-base machine, and Lindor is really, really going to help this team. Now, the Mets reached the halfway point of the season with 44 victories. They're in first place for 75 days, the longest stretch of any team so far this year. We're in first place, and that really is excellent. And actually, you can't complain. Considering everything that's happened, you cannot complain. Actually, you should be ecstatic. They've had a lot of adversity, especially with weather delays, COVID, so I think this team is extremely battle-tested, and we've earned our spot, but also at the same time, we can't be complacent. Edwin Diaz, in his first appearance since Tuesday, put a scare into the Mets in the ninth inning, allowing a run on two hits and a walk before getting the final three outs for his 18th save and 19 chances. Aaron Loop, Seth Lugo, and Trevor May each pitch a scoreless inning in relief behind Tyler Mag- Tyler Miguel. Like I said, it's Tyler. Now, as we all know with Diaz, that happens a few days after he doesn't pitch. He just needed a pitch to find himself after three batters, and uh, we're getting used to that by now. But the good thing is Brandon Woodruff brought a 1.87 ERA into the game for the Brewers and faced little resistance until seventh when the Mets erupted for three runs. Alonzo's two-run double was the key hit in the inning. Michael Conforto later developed it, delivered an RBI single, snapping 0 for 13 drought. It's the third time through the lineup, Rojas said. They saw all the pitches. They knew what they were looking for. 
Nimmo's leadoff double in the fourth led to the Mets tying at 1-1. Lindor's bunt moved Nimmo to third, and Smith hit a sacrifice fly to bring in the run. Tying run. Nimmo, who went... Uh, Nimmo, who went five for uh, to bring in Nimmo, I should say. Nimmo, who went for five for fourteen and three fifty-seven, the Subway Series after returning from two months on the injured list, continued to make his presence felt atop the lineup. Uh, it's the best start of the three to begin his major league career for McGill, and he allowed one run on two hits and two walks and seven strikeouts over five innings, and he was removed after ninety-two pitches. All in all, a good day at the office. But it wasn't a good day at the office for Keith Hernandez. He went on the, he went to the emergency room for stitches after falling off an edge of a hot tub. Uh, I love how Gary Cohen was very dramatic in announcing this. Uh, Cohen said, "The way I understand it, Hernandez standing on the edge of his hot tub while pruning shears, pruning his roses, and he might have taken a tumble, grabbed for something on his way down that did not support him, and took a rather hard fall. I'm told there was a trip to the emergency room. There were eight stitches in his big toe." So I don't know if he's going to be in a wheelchair or if he's going to be on crutches. Cohen indicated Hernandez will be back in the booth on Wednesday. So, uh, Cohen and Darwin got a good laugh over it. And, uh, it's going to be, it's funny the way they ripped Keith about it, saying Keith doesn't want the attention. Keith said he didn't want the attention, but. <laughs> Cohen said, if there was ever a more unself-aware quote, Keith, is always, it's always about you, and we like it that way, Cohen said. I love the camaraderie in the booth with those guys. And we were talking about Ty Ward, McGill, and how he's going to help uh, alleviate the off-season, I mean, the trade deadline talk. But uh, I think the Mets are still going to look, and uh, looks like the odds-on favorite may be Jose Barrios with the Twins, and he could be the type of guy that could fit in with the Mets even after beyond this season as a number three, number four starter. And uh, I wouldn't mind. It depends on what we have to give up. If it's not going to hurt us in the long run, I say go for it. Uh, Barrios is a really, really good pitcher. Not that knockout lights out guy. In the past, like uh, Sabathia or Verlander, Price was the trade deadline. But he's not a bad choice. He's only 27 years old. And he owns a 106 career ERA plus and 118 this season. He's solid. He's not spectacular. Uh, and the bets will probably give up shortstop Ronnie Mauricio. Because he's blocked by Francisco Lindor for a foreseeable future. Uh, maybe pitcher Matt Allen. We'll see what happens. Uh and maybe throw in Khalil Lee. We'll see what happens. But Mauricio, I like Mauricio, but let's face it. It's Lindor's job from here on out. So you might as well get something if you can get it. Uh, but the good news is they showed Noah Syndergaard in the dugout yesterday. And that's always a promising thing. So we'll see what happens. Uh, the price tags might drop a little. If we're still in first place, we might as well go for the kill and get that other pitcher. Now, on a really weird note, Freddie Wilpon can't sell this SNY network. Uh, he thought he'd be getting a lot of money. He's selling it for a billion dollars, but there are no takers. Uh, Comcast, uh, minority, uh, the minority investor in SNY and Charter Communications, a minority investor, aren't interested. Sinclair Group, who has all these regional sports networks, isn't interested. 
Uh, NBC Universal, which has seven regional sports networks, isn't interested. Uh, and the Met viewership is up this year. It's a rise of 22% from pre-pandemic 219 levels. Uh, and it makes money. But the only thing is, uh, it looks like the Wilpons borrowed so much money against it. They're $800 million in debt that they have to sell it for like a billion to actually break even, it looks like. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I love SNY. I say Wilpons, keep it. <laughs> it could be a cash machine for you going forward. All right, we'll be back after this break, and we'll be back with our usual stuff, Met Jeopardy, uh, trivia, this date in Met history, birthdays, transactions, the usual, my friends, the usual. So stay tuned. All right, folks, we're back. And now it's time for Met's Jeopardy and Met's Trivia. Today's Met's Jeopardy has two clues. Start of his professional career was delayed two years due to Tommy John surgery needed for a tear in the ulnar collateral ligament of his throwing elbow. Second clue, played his first 30-start season in 2018, recording a 5-11 record, 3.97 ERA, and 1.25 whip. So the first clue is, start of his professional career was delayed two years due to Tommy John surgery needed for a tear in the ulnar collateral ligament of his throwing elbow. Played his first 30-start season in 2018, recording a 5-11 record, 3.97 ERA, and 1.25 whip. That's your Baseball Jeopardy. Now here's your Met Trivia Question of the Day. Comes to us from our great, great friend Harvey Porras. Harvey says, to mark the Subway Series, here's a relatively easy question. In an early Subway Series game at Yankee Stadium, a Mets base runner on third base danced and bluff stealing home and forced the Yankee ace, an ex-Met, into a balk that scored the tying run in a game the Mets went on to lose next innings. Who was the base runner and the pitcher? Okay, it's time to celebrate a couple of Mets birthdays today. Who's ready? On this date in 1954, former Mets manager Willie Randolph was born. That makes Willie 67. My, the time flies. Willie wore number 12 with the Mets. And he played with us in 92. People forget that. He played 90 games with us, batted 252, 266 at, 286 at-bats. With two homers and 15 RBIs. He signed as a free agent in the offseason after 91, but that 92 team, we all know about that team. Didn't work out quite the, well, quite the way we had hoped. Uh, and Willie became Met manager during the one of the best Met eras in history, 2005 to 2008. We just never brought the bacon home, I think, because that Willie sometimes doesn't get the respect he deserves. But happy birthday, Willie Randolph. Also celebrating the birthday, speedster Lance Johnson, born this day in 1963. He wore number one and 51 with the Mets, and he signed with us as a free agent in the offseason in 95. And what a year he had in 96. Who remembers that? He batted 333. Had 227 hits. Wow. Had a 479 slugging percentage, a 362 on base percentage. Also played with us in 97 and batted 309. Uh, but he was traded uh, in August of 97 by the Mets to the Cubs with Mark Clark and Manny Alexander changed for Turk Wendell, a fan favorite, Mel Rojas, and Brian McRae. So not a bad trade all there, but we did give up one of the more exciting players in that history. 
In 696, to tell you what kind of year he had, he led the NL in bats with 682, hits with 227, singles with 166, and triples. He had 21 triples in 96. That's amazing. And what a year he had. That's a year that flies under the net radar, but not here. We remember Lance Johnson, who was celebrating a birthday today. Happy birthday, Lance. All right, let's go back to the time machine, shall we? Let's go back to 1970. Who remembers Tommy Agee? Agee, Agee, Agee. Well, on this date in 1970, let me set the scene. Gil Hodge's reigning world champion Mets were in first place on this day. 44 and 36, defending that 1969 crown. And they hosted Red Shandies' St. Louis Cardinals, 39 and 41. Does that 44 and 36 record sound awfully familiar to this year? Hmm. A crowd of 36,801 came out to Shea Stadium on this Monday evening. Not bad for a Monday night. Now the Mets' Jim McAndrew, 3-6, and six, took the mound for the Mets, and he was going against Jerry Royce. Cardinals were an exciting team back then. Here's their lineup, 1-9. through nine. Lou Brock, Jose Cardinal, Joe Hay, Dick Allen, Joe Torre, Ted Simmons, Julian Javier, Dow Maxville, and Jerry Royce. As you can see, the cards were stacked with some talent. For the Mets, we had Tommy Agee, center field, leadoff, Bud Harrelson, shortstop, second, Ken, Ann, Ken Singleton, remember when he was a Met? Left field, batting third. Don Clendenin, first base, batting fourth. Ron Sabota, right field, batting fifth. Joey Foy, where's Amos Otis? Joey Foy, batting sixth, playing third base. Jerry Grody, catching, batting seventh. Al Weiss, playing second base, batting eighth. And Jim McAndrew, pitching. Now, the Mets would have a big night on this evening. They scored 10 runs on 17 hits off of five Cardinal pitchers. Don Clendon and Ken Singleton had three hits each. But it was Tommy Agee who had the biggest night. Agee had four hits, and he hit for the cycle while driving in four runs. In the third inning, Agee got his first hit, a base hit, and he would come around to score on Ken Singleton's two-run homer. In the fourth inning, Joe Foy walked. Jerry Grody then singled. A.G. stepped in and hit a three-run homer off Jerry Royce, putting the Mets up 5-0. It was A.G.'s 18th home run in the season. Don Clendenin had an RBI single in that inning to make it 6-0. In the fifth, three straight doubles by Al Weiss pitcher Jim McAndrew and A.G. put the Mets up 8-0 on their way to a blowout. In the sixth inning, Rocky Ronsoboda hit a two-run homer, making it 10-0 Mets. In the bomb, the seventh, A.G. saved the hardest for last, but completed the cycle as he tripled to right field off pitcher Frank Lindsay. It was Tommy's third triple of the year. A.G. was the second man in team history to hit for the cycle as Jim Hickman was the first to do it in 1963. It would take six more years until the next player would do it, and that was utility man Mike Phillips. Some notes on the game. Jim McAndrew pitched a ninth inning and relieved by Tug McGraw as the Mets went on to the 10-3 victory. A.G. would lead the team with 24 homers, 30 doubles, 182 hits, 31 stolen bases, and a career-high 107 runs scored, 6th in the NL in 1970. So Tommy was doing it all, doing it all, my friends, in 1970. Uh, what else was happening on this date? Well, in 1976, J.R. Richard, remember that flamethrower for the Astros? He walked 10 guys but allowed no runs, amazing, and shutting out the Mets 1-0 in 10 innings. John Matlack was the tough luck loser losing one nothing that day. 
And on this day in 1962, Rod Keneal, appearing as a pinch hitter, hit the first grand slam in Met history, going deep off Bobby Shantz in the eighth inning of the team's 10-3 victory over the Cardinals at the Polo Grounds. The bases loaded triple came the 79th game of the seasons of the franchise's existence. Also on this date in 1962, at the Polo Grounds, Gil Hodges homers off a hurler Ray Sadecki for the 370th and final home run of his career. He finished 10th on the all-time list and most ever by a right-handed batter in the National League. In attendance in the contest are eight-year-old Howie Rose. Yeah, put it in the books, Howie Rose. The future Met Radio voice at his first major league game and team's play-by-play announcer, Ralph Kiner, who was the first first baseman on his post-game show, who has his first, who has the first baseman on his first post-game show, Kiner's Corner. Remember Kiner's Corner, what a great show. And reminded his guests he had established right-handed NL home run mark in 1954. <laughs> Good old Ralph. Okay, folks, it's time to talk about what's going on in the group, New York Mets Baseball Way of Life. If you're not a member of the group, please, we're on Facebook, New York Mets Baseball Life. Time to join. This is the time of year you want to be on board. We're talking so much good stuff. And if you're not a subscriber to this podcast, we do one daily, please look, subscribe with the carrier of your choice and you'll be updated when a new one is up. If you ever want to reach me, I'm at philstan41 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And one of the things we were talking about is, what number should be retired by the Mets and why? We got some good responses. Tyler Murray, playing out, says 17. We know who that is. Johnny Reagan says, how about number 8 for both Yogi Berra and Gary Carter? Anthony Morasco says, I'd say 4 or 10 for Rusty or 20 for A.G. Ron Davis says 17, Keith Hernandez. Eileen Lerner says 17 or 8. Eric Holman says 26, Dave Kingman. Ralph Tycho wants to retire the number of the polo grounds. Maybe Ralph can enlighten us. What was the number for the polo grounds? David Diaz says 17 needs to be retired. Andy Fogel says stop, 4 or 10. Deacon Stephen Rain says... Eight, Yogi Barrett, Gary Carter. Mark Riddle says 45, Tug McGraw. He was the pulse of the 73 Mets. Glenn Scherr says definitely 17 and 8. David Arriccio says no one as of now. And what else is going on, you say? What else you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm searching, I'm searching, I'm searching, I'm searching. See if there's anything else really that stands out. You guys are always leaving good stuff, but I kind of want to hit home with some good comments here. But you know what? I think the numbers, retiring the number was such a good thing. Oh, here's another one that we talked about. It piqued my interest. Who is your favorite all-time Mets pinch hitter? Ciro Grassi says, Rusty. 
Jason Lynch says, Kelly Johnson, late 15, was clutch. Rob Gadamowitz, Rob Gadamowitz says, Super Joe McEwen. Those are some of the things we're talking about in the group. New York Mets baseball, a way of life. So please subscribe on Facebook and subscribe to this podcast. You'll be glad you did. Well, that's going to do it for today, folks. Thanks again for tuning in. Always glad to have you aboard. Uh, hopefully the Mets continue their magic ways. They got the man to do it tonight. Jacob DeGrom, 72-0495 ERA with 136 Ks. Going against Brett Anderson, 2-5 with a 4.69 ERA, 31 Ks. Games at 7-10. It's at God's Country. Pushing by the day. City Field. Can uh, we broadcast on SNY? And ESPN for out-of-town market viewers only. And it'll be carried on WCBS 880 on your radio dial. We'll be back to talk about it tomorrow. Enjoy the day. Looks like it's warming up in the New York area, so stay cool. And stay cool enough to tune in tomorrow. We'll talk about, hopefully, another Happy Met recap. I'll talk to you tomorrow, guys. Have a great day.